Morning. Yeah, well done. Yeah, give them a round of applause. All right. Um, morning. Hi, I'm Andy. I'm one of the elders here. Um, so hands up if you want to be blessed. Yeah? You want to be blessed, all right? Bible tells us we can be blessed. So, so hands up if you want to be blessed. I've spent too much time in America recently. I've gone very American. Hands up if you want to be blessed, people. Come on, let's make some noise. I've gone too close to prosperity ministry for my own good. If you want to be blessed, let's raise our hands. Fantastic if you want to be blessed today. And I sure do. I definitely am someone who says yes to that question. Do you want to be blessed? Yes, I absolutely do. Um, maybe, you know, the ones that didn't raise your hand, inside you're doing a very English, but you don't want to raise your hand because it's too radical to do that. But I'm sure all of us are thinking, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. But actually, I think it's important we establish, what did you mean? When I said, do you want to be blessed? What did you put your hand up for? What did you go, yes, and then think, maybe if I gave you a minute, well, blessed, I mean this. These are the things that I'm thinking about. And if I list them off, what could be put as hashtag blessed? If I list them off, uh, what might go on social media? Would that now be, let's be truthful. What would it actually be that you'd be doing hashtag blessed for? Would you be doing it for financial security? Would you be doing it for a house? Would you be doing it for a car? Would you be doing it for a, a bank balance that is now in the black? A health, a good job, a solid relationship. Would that be what ended up with hashtag blessed next to it as you posted that on your Facebook profile? Let's be honest. That's probably what we really mean when we think about it. When we say we're feeling blessed, when I see that on Facebook, the thing I read afterwards is because I got something. I feel blessed because I got something. And then what you get next is the thing that people got. I'm blessed because of this thing happened. And I'm not decrying at all. Don't hear what I didn't say or I'm not saying. It's not good to be blessed in that way. It's not a bad thing. But actually, that's quite a worldly definition of what it is to be blessed. Predominantly, we, we say blessed when we're given something that we feel we uh, enjoy ourselves, that brings great feelings. And often, actually, what we're referring to when I read what gets put against blessed is I feel comfortable now. I feel secure in some way. Something has kind of settled down in my life and I feel blessed because this has happened. Yet as we look at the Bible, and there we should see what God has to say about blessings. It just reads so very differently. When I read what people said to be blessed meant in Scripture... It's so far from what the society and the world and frankly many fake churches and populist preachers try and portray as what it means to be blessed. What you're being sold is that you can have these things and therefore we equate that with therefore that church, those people must be being blessed because they have houses and cars and they have financial security. They must be the ones being blessed, and therefore everyone else who's suffering just needs to move towards that because that's the blessing surely we're all looking for. Equally, we, therefore, we should try and understand what the Bible says about blessing, but also we should look at what the history of the church would define as blessing. And it's a very different story than the one we like to tell, not of continual, endless triumph, but actually stories of having to defend the faith against repeated different types of attack. 
Matt Nell sat over there. I've, I've got a, I was just thinking about his book. He's got a book. It's here. It's called Defenders of the Faith, which he gave to me the first time I met him. And it, it came back to mind today when I was, uh, yesterday when I was just prepping for this about the history of the church and understanding what the church has gone through over the years when it stood against all types of opposition, cultural opposition, and then you come right up to date to the, like, the Chinese church and actual persecution going on. Opposition against the faith has been a norm. We are experiencing a time now in the church which is, I think, a dangerous time because it feels like peacetime. It feels like everything's pretty stable and yet really we're not. We're in the middle of a massive battle of the faith. We're not in peacetime. We're in a battle. Um, and I think there's lots of echoes when you look at the history of the church about what we're drifting into as a nation now, as a predominantly secular society. So we need to learn from the warning signs about times of perceived security, times of perceived comfort. Because without learning from that, and without learning from what Scripture tells us, we can be quite ill-equipped for a life on mission. We're not ready for the challenges that come. That have already, I'm sure you experienced them already, yeah? It's awkward to share your faith. That's just the thin end of the wedge, really, about all the things that we're going to try and do and therefore be exposed to in this increasingly secular society. So I'm going to try and, um, it's a huge topic. We could almost start this whole series again. We're at the very end of a series. We've been in a six-week series called Life on Mission. Um, but it's not the end of the series. Really, this is the briefing before we go and do what the series says. Uh, there's, there's a scripture that says, we are not to be hearers of the word, we are to be doers of the word. We've spent six weeks, which isn't long in this series, really with the briefing. This, get ready. Now let's go and do it. And I'm a trainer, uh, that's what I do. I, I travel all around, as many of you know, I'm delivering training courses all around the globe. And, and I always end up at the very last session saying the same thing. So whether it's a two-day training, a whole week training, even a one-day senior leadership training, there's one thing I say at the very last thing. It's called the 70-20-10 rule. 10% of what I've told you will be gone in two, is all that will remain in two weeks. You will only remember 10% of what I've told you in two weeks' time. The only way you'll get to 70%, so it's the 70-20-10 rule, the only way you'll get to the 70% is if you do something with it in the next two weeks. If you don't do anything with this in the next two weeks, we're down to 10% and then go forward, it virtually disappears. You can get the remaining 20 by training others. And that's a general common rule in any kind of briefing, sharing. If you don't do something with this in the next two weeks, you're going to have 10% of it left. And that means it's just head knowledge. I think I remember them saying something about this at some point. So it's a huge topic about life on mission. So I'm going to try as we close out this series and finish the briefing and go and do the work to talk about four definitions of what it means to be hashtag blessed. This isn't moving on. Can you see if you can click on it and wake it up? No? I'm not getting anything. I'll tell you, and then we'll see if it turns up in a second. The four definitions, I want, I want to go to four people and their four definitions. I'm going to go with Jesus. It's a good place to start in a Christian church. We're going to go with Jesus first. Then we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. Thank you. This still isn't clicking, by the way, but um, you can do it for me. The Apostle uh, Paul. Then we're going to hear from uh, the Apostle Peter. And then we're going to hear from a guy called Desmond Doss. Um, 
I would say, I mean, difficult to say really. I'm not going to say this is going to be like the most cheerful message I've ever delivered, but I hope it's going to be a positive and upbeat one in some regards because it's a call, it's a challenge. Uh, it's something often happens with me when I'm prepping my preaching. I'm thinking, Andy, you're the number one person that needs to hear this preach that you're writing to give to others. So there's no way am I standing here saying, I've nailed this and you just need to listen. I'm saying we as a church, as a body, should be challenged by this series and hopefully challenged by what um, is uh, going to happen afterwards. So please know I'm preaching from a position of, of feeling the same way as many of you will as we go through it. So let's see if nothing. Click me on, if that's all right. So um, we're going to look at what Jesus said. So Jesus, um, now all of these are going to be very brief looks. And so I'm aware I'm not able to cover the fullness of the topic. Um, but when we look at what Jesus said about blessing, there's a really famous example, or to be blessed, there's a really famous example. It's referred to sometimes as the Beatitudes, which is uh, it's a piece of, it means the blessing sayings, really, of Jesus. Um, and so we're going to look at those. Is it working now? Still no. Click me on if you don't mind. So this is uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so this is a famous uh, uh, time when Jesus stands up and he gives this incredible sermon and it's captured uh, in Matthew 5 and 6 and it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. That's a mixed bag so far. Now let's read on. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That got dark quite quickly, huh? We got halfway through, and then suddenly it was, whoa, hang on a second. I was, I was kind of with some of the early ones. I mean, that's in my difficult circumstances, I'll be blessed. But, but now you're describing things that are quite tricky so that got quite so who wants to be blessed now yeah wants that tail end like i'll take the tail end yeah okay all right so um but it describes early on our circumstances and the things that we go through even if we've given our lives to christ you know we think everything's going to be great and everything's been rosy and as yost shared it's actually not there's going to be times of difficulty and actually the more you press into sharing the gospel then we will be persecuted, reviled, and insulted. Woo! Yeah, go with that with a big white teeth in the American accent, huh? Yeah, come on, everyone. Who wants to be persecuted today? No, of course, that's not going to be a natural response. And in many ways, I think many of us do appreciate that when we share the gospel, stand up for biblical truth, and that Jesus is the only way, then we do suffer in some way. Um, Right now, social rejection, often, or awkwardness in a conversation amongst your, even in your family context, if you just go a bit too far and the kind of silence goes across the dinner table and everyone stares at you thinking you're pushing that thing a bit too hard. Now, I'm not saying be weird, but I'm saying sometimes you just, people are happy to tell you what they believe and people believe the maddest things. They'll tell you, and the moment you share about your faith, it kind of becomes an awkward conversation. There's something going on in the spiritual realms. There's a battle happening there. So we do fear public shunning, but being mocked, blanked, laughed at, 
our worldly reputation shredded, Jesus says, that's blessing. Let's go into Paul on blessing. Can you click me on, Mum? Thank you. So Paul's definition and how he was challenged to what we think it looks like, or he challenged us to what it thinks it looks like to to be blessed and how he would describe suffering for the gospel, putting yourself in danger, in discomfort. That's a feature of the heroes of the faith. You read Hebrews 11 and 12 and you read that there's a long list of all these people that suffered and struggled in their journeys and many of them, it says they didn't see the outcome, they didn't see the positive end. They, they suffered but they didn't actually see the reward on this earth. What it's reminding us there in 11 and 12 is this eternal perspective that Paul has now inherited, which says, not this life. This isn't where it happens. It happens there in eternity. And the here is a present time of often affliction and suffering. We sing this song, though troubles are hard, they're only momentary because they're achieving a future glory. We say that, but do we mean it? Because if we meant it, we'd be, we'd be too worried about being discomforted down here and put into awkward situations. And Paul is someone that we have the most detail on what it means to suffer. If you could click on, there's this one here about 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27. Here's a list and a half. This is Paul saying, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers and in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea. Who wants to be blessed? In danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. Hallelujah. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Who wants that list? <laughs> Greg, you keep saying, yep, yeah, I'm going to see what happens in the next week. But you know what I mean? It's like that list is Paul saying, that's all the things that have happened to me. And you have to remember or even know that prior to coming to Christ, who was Paul? He's Saul of Tarsus. That's his name before he comes to Christ. And uh, we could go through that. It would be great. But he is, a, he is a privileged or was a privileged Jewish, a, Roman, a Jew of Roman citizenship, which is a privileged position to hold from a good family, self-assured, educated under a famous rabbi, a guy called Gamaliel. So he's well-educated. He's up there. He's a Pharisee. He's respected. He's a person of influence. If you know the story during the stoning of Stephen, he stands by and sort of oversees uh, the, the martyrdom of Stephen and they put their coats at his feet. It's like you're, he's just watching. So this is a person of influence. He has these things. He is, what they would say is, he's got blessing in worldly eyes, citizenship, education, status. He's got these things. And then it says this in uh, Philippians 3, 7 to 9. Thank you. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, thank you, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. I'd love to know what that, someone who knows can tell me what the Greek word that that was before it said rubbish, but I count them all as rubbish, as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul's model may be extreme when we look at it. 
It appears, though, that the more he preaches and the more he shares the gospel, the more he suffers. And yet the more he suffers, the greater he seems to declare that he is blessed. He compares all that he had, all that gain, and uses the word rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And in Philippians 1.21, he writes, Whether by life or death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's perspective has gone eternal. Let's look at Peter on blessing. Whoop, thank you. Peter on blessing. And specifically now this is going to talk about really how this links to this Life on Mission series and us today. And There's a scripture there on the screen. We've used it before. We've used it in previous series and we've used it in this one. Um, which is 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a, the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to you, you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And that's a pretty much a go-to scripture. Lots of people will use that one. It's probably on a fridge magnet in someone's house here today. It's there. It's often one of those ones that talks about, and I used it when I did the session on sharing, being ready to share your faith with others or your story with others. How we all need to reflect. We, every one of us that's come to Christ has a unique gospel story to tell people. I challenge you to go away and write a one-minute kind of elevator speech. Did you do that? Are we in preparation or not to just say, I need to just sit down and spend some time thinking, if someone said to me, what is it you believe? I'd like to do a bit of preparation for that question in the belief that it will happen. We need to invest time in this stuff because if we're doing what Alex uh, so excellently talked about last week, praying for opportunity, praying for salvation opportunities, that we might become part of the story of God drawing people to him, that he might put us in a position that he draws someone that we care about because we do care about them towards Christ. And, and we're there in that moment where he says, I'm going to use you right now. And we, we just stand there and, and open mouth because we didn't think that would ever happen. Why are we praying then? We're praying, and it was a great uh, thing Yvonne brought this morning about starting to think about the people that you care about, those that you want to see come to Christ, picturing them in that chair right there from the, the talk only, and praying every week that's their chair. And one day they're going to be in that chair, praying in faith they will be sat there one day. But obviously that prayer will often nearly always include you having an opportunity in that journey towards that chair. And he creates that opportunity. So let's get ready for it, because if we're praying, we believe that things might happen. As Tom talked about uh, when we talked about these series on, in, on serving and engaging, we'd expect we need to be ready that if we go out and start to do stuff, to engage with situations in our town, the opportunity will come along. I hope we're getting ready for that. But it's not going to be a cakewalk, as they say, an easy ride if we're serious about this. If we care enough, and I found that one of the most challenging things about what Alex pointed out. We don't pray. Is that because we don't care enough? Because I've told you many times, and I will never stop saying it, I know I'm standing here because my mum cared enough to just not stop praying for me. I was so far from God. Not in a criminal way. I was just this guy. I just didn't care. About, I didn't need him. I don't, what do I need him for? I'm really quite cool, and I've got lots of friends and a great job. What do I need him for? But she kept praying and praying and praying and with others. And as you know, because I'm stood here, he got me. 
<laughs> so if we're serious about sharing the good news, then we are going to be blessed. Because we look at what comes before that, that much quoted and famous verse. Look at what comes before. So let's go 14 to 15. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. By Lord, it says, do what he says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That changes the context. That tells you this is very likely to happen. And in those situations, get ready to share your faith. Give a reason for the hope that you have. God's stance on blessing is that we are blessed when we glorify him in a fallen world, but that so often comes in difficult circumstances and often at a cost. Jesus tells us, do not build up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and thieves can steal away. Every BMW, every Ferrari you've ever seen will either be rust or a lump of plastic sitting on a pile of rust one day. Every designer dress will be moth-eaten. Every pound probably eventually stolen by someone along the way. Everything will crumble to dust. Build up for yourself, therefore, a treasure in heaven for where your treasure is. That is where your heart is. So those are those four definitions of what it means to be, to be blessed. Let me talk about two ways to be proper blessed, to use a Londonish type expression. You want to be proper blessed? Let me tell you two ways I believe that God's been speaking to us or t- trying to speak to us about being blessed. You want to be blessed. You answered yes at the beginning, so I'm going to talk about two ways. Then we're going to hear, hopefully, um, from Desmond Doss if the video works. Um, and then we're going to give some time over to prayer. Which is interesting because we're praying, okay, bless me. Okay. One of the ways, though, to be blessed is by knowing God. Blessing comes not from a feeling, through external gratification, but it comes from an assurance. Knowing God, knowing God who he is, and like Romans tells us, being transformed in your mind so that we might know God's perfect will. Knowing him is a transforming act. What he has done and then grasping hold of this eternal perspective. That means elevating our heavenly identity as sons and daughters of God above our earthly identity. We've got to elevate who we are in eternity so that we realize that these are momentary afflictions. These are times of struggle because if we don't have that eternal perspective, this just becomes too difficult. Every week that I suffer is just crushing. Every day of difficulty is destroying me because my perspective is this is never going to end. And of course, as we sung, did we not? Because of you, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. There's joy everlasting in the kingdom. And I think for me, when I lose sight of the eternal perspective and I start to worry too much about my current thing, then I'm worried that something's going to upset the apple cart. And I've got to do everything I can to keep it all stable and all in good shape and not risk any of it if I've got it in good shape because it's too important to me. Because it's my comfort and it's my security and it's an earthly thing where moth and rust will destroy it. So elevating our eternal identity over our earthly one. We sing that song, as I said, we will meet him in the air. 
And I think when you realise what's coming out, what, what we're looking forward to, it really kind of brings everything into perspective. It's not saying that we are not going to suffer. It's not saying we're not going to struggle with things when things don't turn out the way we want them. We're not going to suffer with illness and, and pray it would just stop. But we have to remember it's momentary. This comes from knowing God, who we are in him. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man. And then it goes on to say, his delight, his delight is in the Lord, the instruction of the Lord of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaves do not wither. We delight in knowing the creator of all things. The holy God has been on a mission, a mission to save us, a mission to reunite us with him. The word knowledge of him is the source and joy and blessing. To read the word is a source of joy and blessing to read the word is a source of joy and blessing as yo said thank you for this bible that in this moment of dis- disappointment there's a source of joy and blessing and sometimes it's like it is that that's what i feel like but that's what the word says and i'm going to look at that try not to focus too much on this i'm going to look at that what a lovely word he delights he delight. How, who, wants to, who wants to be delighted today? Yeah, yeah, amen, all right, we want to be delighted. Then he meditates on his word day and night. He delights in the Lord. Paul says in that scripture we looked at earlier, the previous one, then he said, my life of lost, but my joy comes from knowing Christ. So if you or me fail to spend time in the word, meditating on the word, not just reading through it, thinking I've read a page, it sh- I should be feeling better now, I've read six pages, I should be 6% better than I was when I began. That's not what it is, okay? It says, um, meditates on it day and night. So there's times when you read three words and you're just impacted. There's times when you read a whole chapter and you're impacted. But it's not just reading it, it's letting it speak to us, believing and realizing what it might say. If we don't do that, we can miss out on so much peace and so much joy and so much delight coming from knowing God and how we have sinned and yet he has called us back to him. Christ has died for our sins that we might be reunited with God for all eternity. There's delight in reminding ourselves of who God is and his amazing grace. That song, you know. Why is that just such a classic? Why is it? It's not the greatest tune ever. I mean, it doesn't even have a chorus of types, you know. It's just, but, but But it's that amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. There's amazing grace. And once we grab hold of that afresh, and I think some of us, we have to admit, it's kind of, yeah, I kind of, I, I love Jesus, but I'm finding my, my walk a bit difficult. I'm finding church a bit flat for me. I think sometimes that means we completely lost sight of what he's done. This isn't where he's doing it <laughs> in many regards. If you've given your life to Christ, God has welcomed you back in for all eternity. Your sin's forgiven. That's the thing. And then we come here to worship and to praise him for that. When we lose sight or we downplay the enormity of God, the enormity of how much our sin would have distanced us from him, when we lose sight of the enormity of his grace, and then we lose sight of the enormity of the gospel that saved us, and we forget its power, then we're less likely to be receiving blessing number two. Because blessing number two 
is about sharing the good news. The blessing of making him known to others, of being part of God's work. He's the one drawing people towards him. We're just honoured to be part of that journey. And our prayers are saying, please, would you bring this person to you and use me in any way you can to help in that journey. Isaiah 61.1 makes it so clear how blessed we are in that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's life on mission. And as we said, blessing comes when we glorify God and that means stepping out on mission. No longer does that mean get on a plane and go somewhere. No longer does that mean that at all. It means right out there, right in our streets. That's where we're actually probably most uncomfortable, if we're being honest. I think, speaking personally, I'd be much happier if someone sent me to a foreign country where I didn't know anyone, and I'd go like crazy for it, because I don't know anyone. So I'm not going to, you know, I just would be much more evangelistic in Azerbaijan. But I'm not so evangelistic in Garston because they know me and I might see them again. And if I mess this up, I might have to look at them once again. Send me out there, no problem. This is a much tougher mission field than being sent to some foreign land. It's also a very resistant mission field. And there are those that are called to go to places and I am totally celebrating that. You know, we've got families that are in very difficult places to share the gospel. But there's many parts of the world, as I think you know, that are praying for the UK, that are worried and panicked that this place that once knew Christ in such a powerful way is completely lost and heading towards a secular society. We are in the mission field that people are praying for. So you want to take a flight? Okay, take a round trip and come back because this is where the mission field is for many of us. That's probably the worst sales pitch ever, to be honest with you. Um, maybe for some of you thinking, life on mission, that is not for me. I want to pray for you at the end that that, that might change. Because you said you wanted to be blessed. And now we've realised what blessed means, and now we're not so sure. But I believe the reason this church has not seen so many new converts in recent years, and we're a good church, and I love this church, it's my f- favourite family alongside my own family. It's a wonderful place to be. But one thing we said we want to see is more people coming to faith in the church, not just people joining us from other locations. One of the reasons is perhaps because it just feels a bit too costly for some of us to go on mission. We don't like upsetting the apple carts. We like church the way it is. We like work the way it is. We like our relationships the way they are. And we don't want to mess things up. And while I'm never saying that we should go out wanting chaos and be ridiculously... So, so crazily evangelistic that we just go in a way and offend everyone. But I think we're on the other end of that scale right now for a lot of us. Certainly, I speak for myself. Because I'm not saying we should go for chaos. But there is great danger from a gospel perspective if what we see as being blessed is for everything to stay calm the way it is right now because I've just about got everything balanced. If I just sort that one last bit out, the financial thing, everything will be good. Because in that scenario, the gospel will get shoved to the corner because you don't want to bring it in because it can unbalance everything. Could mean changing jobs. I've just got it where I want it. Could mean changing location. I like it here. 
could mean having a difficult situation in your family because you've said something, but I like it at the moment because we just have such great Christmases together and I know that if I raise that, it's going to be awkward now. The gospel gets shoved to the corner because we don't want to knock things out of balance. Knowing Jesus and making him known was a phrase I heard years ago and I loved it. I thought it sounded really good. I thought, well, I have that on a t-shirt. That's what you're here to do. Know Jesus and make him known. I think I'm only just realising at the moment that's quite a costly phrase. That means challenges. That means me getting out of my comfort zone because my comfort zone is to sort of keep everything calm. Aaron started this series with, with a, a great kickoff, and he also showed a video which I think affected many of us. I'm sure you can remember it. It was the clip from Schindler's List uh, where, where Oscar Schindler um, realises that all his comforts literally equate to lives. That's a very powerful scene. I think I'm, I'm probably now at the end of the series, I'm kind of revisiting it, thinking that, is, that was such a powerful scene. He said, I think he said, this pin, one life. This suit, two lives. This car, so, I can't remember how many lives he said, 20 lives. He was saying that because he could buy people um, that were going to end up in, you know, being killed in concentration, he could literally pay for them to come and be part of his workforce and therefore save them from uh, extermination by the Nazis. And he's, he was literally saying, I could have bought more, I could have done more, I could have done more. All of this stuff. And I don't want to sort of say, right, now, now go and sell your car because that's going to cause someone to get saved. That's not what I'm saying. It's that, it's that looking at the things that the world says bring you comfort and joy and thinking, if I focus too much on that, that's a life. That's an opportunity. That's an opportunity for me to share the gospel gone because I'm over here trying to sort out all these things and I'm missing out on these difficult situations. So perhaps it's, um, I don't know what the best word, simile, metaphor, whatever it might be. But I felt challenged by that again. But I want to bookend it with another deeply challenging true story. So bookending this series, and I say this is a briefing really, not, not the end of a series. A truly moving book uh, and a film. Um, so we start with Oscar Schindler and his discomfort. And he kept saying, I could have got one more. And we're going to end with Desmond Doss. So hopefully some of you will know who those is, because Desmond Doss did get one more. Um, and it's a true story of like extreme discomfort. Now, you'll, some of you will know the story, but let me recap, and some of you won't know the story. Um, but during uh, the Second World War, Desmond Doss, this is him, was a conscientious objector. He's a Christian, Seventh-day Adventist Christian, who joins the army as a medic and refuses to carry a weapon because he says, I'm a medic, I don't need a weapon while you're all out there tearing each other apart, I'm going to try and heal some. And he was ridiculed and mocked and beaten up and called a coward because he wouldn't carry a weapon into battle. Um, uh, his uh, captain, a guy called Jack Glover, um, who, who, joined, who tried to get him thrown out, who turned a blind eye while he was being abused by his fellow soldiers, and he actually encouraged it at times, and he and others were trying to get Doss thrown out of the army. And they actually looked at it and said, there's no legal reason that you can do that. There's no precedent for this. You, there's no way you can throw him out. He has to serve. And so they serve with him, despising him, essentially, as a coward. Anyway, during there's an 83-day battle called the Battle of Okinawa. And that's US forces and the Japanese. And the unit... Um, is sent over, that's the unit that DOS is in, and they're sent over to join forces who are looking to ascend something called the, the Maida Escarpment. Now, an escarpment is a, is a, is a cliff, you know, it's a, it's a sharp um, upward um, 
vertical slope that's been caused by erosion of some kind. So erosion creates these very sharp uh, edges. It's also known as a beast ledge. That's another word that escarpment turns into. And that's the appropriate name for the one that they've been sent to. Um, because Maeder Escarpment was nicknamed by the US forces Hacksaw Ridge. So that's the name that they give it. And that's the film that you, I would encourage you to watch, actually. It's, it's an incredible film. Um, so as they join uh, the other forces, the, the Japanese launch a massive counterattack to push them back off the ledge. And they start uh, throwing grenades and, and incredible gunfire to push this large, these are massive forces, by the way. It's tens of thousands of, around this ridge. Uh, in Okinawa, there was hundreds of thousands that were killed in the end. It was a horrendous battle. And this is going on, and they are literally driving them back by firing upon these Americans that are basically climbing up the edge of the ridge, over the ridge they go, and immediately they're just hails of bullets come down on them, uh, and they're driven back off the ridge. But 75 wounded soldiers are left up on the ridge, and one person not wounded, and that's Desmond Doss, the medic, is up on the ridge. And he refuses to leave the ridge. So he crawls into the battlefield while they're still firing and going around bayoneting anyone they can find. He crawls into the battlefield and starts to bind up the wounded and drags them one by one to the edge of the ridge and lowers them down by rope. And this goes all the way through the night into the following morning. And each time he brings someone, as he lowers them down, he says, please God, give me one more. And he goes in and he keeps finding everyone, so the 75 that were still alive. And he saves every single one of them single-handedly, lowering every single one of them down the edge of the cliff. And there's a short montage at the end of the film, because actually showing the film, on a, first it's very dark, it's hard to see it in, in this light, but secondarily it's too much of an emotional thing to watch, I think, on a Sunday morning in many regards. But what you will see in here, hopefully if this works, is Desmond Doss speaking himself um, before he passed away. Um, it's a stunning story, a harrowing story of faith. It is extreme, but I'm hoping that whilst we're not saying this is our situation, it's an inspirational story. What it means to step into the battle, to step into the grit and say, please God, give me one more. We'll see if it works.
It's an incredible story, isn't it? I show it probably for me especially, but perhaps for some of you, just to kind of say, all right, okay, I get it. I want to be shaken out of my comfort in some way to see that story, to realize what he was doing and what he was stepping into over and over again is an inspirational story. I hope. I hope. Because we don't want Schindler's regrets. We'd like Doss's blessing. Even though Schindler did an amazing thing, he regretted he could have done more. And I think Doss is a great story to end it with. He just said, give me one more. And then he went. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us. And then I'm going to see uh, if people want to go forward for prayer with the prayer ministry team as well. Um, I want to pray for anyone who wants to stand in a moment and just say that while you're not asking to suffer or that suffering would be a mark of some virtue, that we're willing to suffer for the gospel, that we're willing to be taken out of passivity and comfort if it means that we might participate in saving some. So let me be clear, I'm not saying suffering is a virtue and therefore to suffer is some indication. It's the, it's the desire to say, whatever it takes, I'm willing to be involved in this, to participate in his mission for the lost. And I'm praying for myself too, no question, because I believe there is such treasure in heaven from a life on mission. And I said, yes, I want to be blessed. And I want to be blessed in that way. That I would stand in heaven. I don't know how it's going to work. No one does. Whether you get to be aware that you said that to that person and that's them right there. You didn't even know the part you played in that journey to bring them to faith. But there they stand. Maybe that will happen. I don't know. But that doesn't matter because that's me looking for my graphic. It's just to know that that's what is promised. I'll take it. So if you're interested in being prayed for, I invite you to stand and we'll pray together. For those of us that want to be blessed in a life on mission, then please stand and I'll pray for us. Father God, we, we come before you. We're standing or we're raising our hands and saying, we want to be blessed. We want to be blessed. We want to know you and we want to make you known. Father, I pray that each one of us this morning will realize this was a briefing. This is not it. This was an opportunity to kind of round off a series and say, okay, there's the briefing. Let's now do this. And I'm praying that you would present opportunities for us. I'm praying you would present opportunities for us, Father God, to be involved in your mission, to, to bring those to you in this town that you are currently calling. The fields are ripe for harvest, but the laborers are few. Well, there's a hundred here, I hope, Father God, that are saying, I'll take a part, part in that. Father God, would you counteract fear? Would you counteract fear? It comes in many forms. A nervousness will up to an absolute dread that stops us from being able to do the things you've called us to. I pray by your Spirit 
you would counteract that fear. You would give us that spirit of boldness. You would give us that eternal perspective, Father God, that realizes that we are serving the eternal Father, the enormity of your grace, the enormity of what you offer is eternity with you. That you loved the world so much that you gave your one and only Son so that all that would believe in him could inherit eternal life, Father. That is an enormous offering, Father, and we want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. Everything I have on this earth will turn to rust and moth will, be moth will destroy or will be stolen. Ultimately, Father God, it will all end up nowhere. But in eternity, I pray there is treasure in heaven because down here on this earth, I was involved, we were involved in helping some people to take that journey towards you, Father God. And I do pray we'd see it in this church. I'm, I'm not oblivious to that, Father. I pray, I hope we all do, that we would see in this building people coming to faith for the first time and declaring, Jesus Christ is Lord and I have inherited eternal life. My sins are forgiven because of his blood. And I will be forever reunited with the Father. To hear that, that is better than any car I can imagine, even a yacht. <laughs> Anything you can offer me on this earth is nothing compared to you and compared to that truth. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name, Father. Amen. You're a great family and you're an amazing army. And I'm proud to be part of you. And I pray that in the weeks to come, we have got stories. Yep, it happened. Because we're praying. Take a seat for a moment. I just want to offer some more prayer as I close out. Um, I've mentioned it in the prayer. And I, I think that still there's some of us that have to go up and get prayer for fear. The Bible talks a lot, and, and, and Aaron mentioned this in the prayer time this morning. I thought, you know what? That's a really good point. The Bible talks about courage, story of Joshua, you know, be courageous. And throughout the Bible says, you know, courage or, or boldness. They have to be present because they are counteracting what is present, which is fear. Which is fear and a lack of courage. So for the Bible to offer it and for God to offer it and for the spirit of boldness over the spirit of timidity means that those things exist and we should not be saying, I have no fear. Come in wearing those sweatshirts from Sports Direct with no fear on them, you know. I'm fearful. I find some situations make me incredibly uncomfortable. So I think there's a time for some of us to go up and get some prayer. If you remember the story Sarah shared some weeks ago about, um, was it your cousin, Sarah? Yeah, about this irrational fear of talking to her cousin who had a terminal illness about the gospel and, and praying against that fear. So if you want to go and get prayer for that today, I believe God would love to help you and deal with it. And the Holy Spirit would love to come and deal with that, the spirit of boldness, not a spirit of timidity. The other people I think you might want to go forward for some prayer for with the ministry team are those that say, my life is just not in good shape right now. My faith walk is struggling. I'm not feeling great, so why would I, how could I go and talk to people about Jesus when they look at my life and see me crying every other day? Or they look at my life and see me struggling? And therefore, or they don't even know, but I am struggling, so therefore why would I want to be going out and telling people about the gospel, about Jesus, when I don't feel like great right now? And I was praying into that because I'm thinking that's a very real situation. I've been there myself and many of you in this room will be there right now. And I can't answer that question. But I do believe God wants to help you today. I believe he wants to shift your perspective to expand it out again. Your soul is well. Your soul is well. And your soul is a, is a way of thinking about your eternal life is in perfect health. 
Your mind in eternity is in perfect health. Your physical body in eternity is perfect. Your emotional state in eternity is perfect. Right now, it may feel rough, but God wants to remind you of your eternal perspective so that you may feel once again stirred. I can share the good news in my bad news. I can share the good news in my bad news because in eternity, my soul is well. Amen. Amen. Bless you, wonderful church. So the ministry team will be over there. Um, I hope they're busy. I said to them, in the mo- I hope you're busy. I hope you come and don't get a coffee today because people are going for this. That's me. I'm fearful or that's me. I just don't feel like I can be sharing the gospel right now. So feel free to go over and be prayed for. Also feel free to come downstairs and chat to us and join us for tea and coffee and have a blessed, blessed, woohoo, remember, have a blessed week. Woohoo, yeah, woo, woohoo. <laughs> Bless you guys.